welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I have a long-awaited, wonderful guest with me. We're going to talk about all the things, but we're kind of scheduling this around Halloween because she has a really amazing podcast that I absolutely love, and I want to share it with you guys. Let's welcome to the show, Zephora Alderman. Zephora, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. I am so excited that you're here. We've been talking about doing this for a couple of years, and I'm so sorry it's taken me this long to to get you on the show, uh, but I'm so glad you're here. How are you? What's going on? Uh, tell me about your podcast, The Soma Twin Stories. And okay, so first I have to say, uh, if you guys are searching for the show, I made the mistake of not being able to find it on my uh, Apple Podcast app. Because I wasn't putting in Soma Twins stories, I was putting in Soma Twins and it wasn't coming up. There's such a difference. It's Soma Twin, all one word, Soma Twin stories. S-O-M-A-T-W-I-N stories. Yes. That's probably why I was messing it up. But it still should have found you. The app search engine sucks. The search engine is bad. Yeah. It is. So I'm going to have links and stuff in the show notes for you guys. But uh, I love this show. You tell some wonderful stories. You back them up with just the most amazing sounds, uh, which I try to do on my Halloween episodes. How did you get the idea to do the show? Um, people have been asking me what my ghost stories are for a while. Or, you know, I'll be watching another show or listening to a podcast like Spooked or something where, you know, they're like, what are your ghost stories? Like, I have so many ghost stories. Um, And so I've kind of been wanting to do this for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then I was watching um, I was watching a a YouTube channel called Curious History. um, And he was like, what are your ghost stories? Cause he, he does a lot of history about cemeteries in Ohio and ghost stories about the locks and, um, different parks and, and historical sites, things like that. So like, so it's kind of like history, but also like the, the supernatural history or the ghost stories of the area, the lore and the folklore. And so he's like, you know, what are your ghost stories and I just commented like I have so many ghost stories just my whole life has been just ghosts um and I've kind of wanted to like start a YouTube channel about it or something but I've been kind of nervous to it and he's like you should do it you should totally do it just like make one episode and see how you like it and so I was like okay so I was like okay for him I will do it for him so he was really super sweet and encouraging like we emailed each other and stuff and he was like yeah like do it do it I'm so excited and um I had this vision of how I wanted to do it I wanted I wanted to write the music because you know I'm I'm a vocalist I've done voiceover work I'm uh I I've done writing I'm a writer and I'm a composer I've written music and I wanted to take all of that and put it all together into one package and just kind of use all of my skills to make this amazing thing. And I had this really like intense vision of what I wanted it to be. And I wanted to write the background music. I wanted to do all the sound effects, you know, and make it sound really spooky and just kind of like, not just tell a story, but bring the listener into the story and have them experience it with me and feel the way it felt. And um, so it took me 
gosh, it took me a couple months to make the first one. Mm-hmm. And then um, after that, I kind of had a template going and, and I got a little faster on it. So I was able to do like one a month. Um, but that's, that's where it came from was me just wanting to tell my own stories. Um, and then I was like, well, you know what? I could put fiction in here. I could put fictional stories. I could, um, and then, oh, and then Curious History did uh, an episode about, um, the history of Victorian Christmas ghost stories. And I was like, well, boom, that's perfect. I'm going to do a Victorian ghost story for Christmas on my channel. So I tried to squeeze that in right before Christmas last year and I did it and it was, it was amazing, but I got burned out. So I haven't done anything since, but um, it's, it's tough. I mean, the, the idea of doing a show is really fun, right? And it's, it's so easy to get excited and, but it's, it's a lot more work than people think it is. And especially if you're going to actually score your you own act- show, you know, because you're not just going to write a four minute uh, background of music and then just copy and paste it. You're going to score the show as if it was a film. It didn't work. It didn't work. I was like, no, I need this. I need that. I need this. I need this here. I need the music to go with the story. I right. need it to stop here and stop here. And I need it to like get suspenseful here. And I just, I, I just find like customized it for the mm-hmm. whole the whole thing and then but yeah you're right I mean I was I tracked my time how much I was working on it because I have this thing where like I tell myself like Ugh, I've been so lazy I haven't I haven't been doing anything I haven't been doing anything so I tracked my time while I was working on it and it's like a 30 hour a week job just to yeah. do one episode right. and it takes a few weeks so each episode takes 16 and 90 hours at least maybe 100 hours to create that's a lot of work yeah and how long is your average episode um 20 minutes yeah so (laughs) so okay so folks think about that so for a 20 minute podcast you're looking at well beyond a full-time job of effort to make that happen um, yeah. For me, it's it's not that bad anymore. I mean, when I first started, I was editing out every breath and every every little thing that wasn't perfect. And then one day I'm like, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, there's no reason that people can't have conversations that are very natural. There's no reason to take out every little thing. Um, it just it just sounds too polished and unnatural. Then it sounds like it's scripted. You yeah. Know? But mine uh, is Mine is, yeah. And I have to act. So, you know, I, I'll write the story. That takes a while. Then I record it, but I'm, I will go back and record it several times because, mm-hmm. you know, I'll record it. I'll put it into the project. I'll start working with it. And I'll be like, well, that doesn't sound right. I didn't read it right there. Mm-hmm. I have to go back and record that little part again. And then like the, the intonation, the mood, the feeling that it was, it's totally off here. I ha- I have to go make it sound like intense and scary, you know? So, so there's the acting aspect of it too, that I have to redo a lot of the voiceover work as I'm working on the sound design. Let me ask you honestly, and, and you might benefit from working with a director or at least for maybe a couple of episodes to kind of help pick out some of those things. But, um, because and I and I've directed a bunch of audiobooks, so I I kind of get how that process works. But do you think part of that is that you really didn't nail it, or that you're such a perfectionist that you won't like? You're like, yeah, I, it was okay. I could do that better. Or I am 
I am such a perfectionist. Yeah. And I, I've had to actually find ways to work smarter, not harder because of my perfectionism, <laughs> um, which has helped. But I mean, sometimes I'd be like, no, it's okay. It's fine. It sounds fine. But, but there, there are parts where it's just like, boy, that, that just, it doesn't work. It's bothering me. I can't let it go into the world. It's bothering me. I got to redo yeah. it. And I I really respect that, you know, uh, as you know, I'm an artist myself and I put things out there and I'm very much the same way. If, if I let something go and find out afterwards that I missed it, I get so frustrated because I really try and cover everything. But when you listen to a project 60, 70, a hundred times, your brain doesn't hear it anymore. Your brain just kind of fills in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> But one thing I absolutely love about your show, and this is what got me right off the bat, was um, the way that you read. Because you read almost from this gentle, I, I don't want to say ASMR, but it almost feels like that. Like, it's such a gentle. Well, I mean, I'm trying to go for like a bedtime story. Like, like, yeah. like it's supposed to be creepy. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be really intimate. So I read it very quietly. I'm very close to the mic. Um, Cause I don't know, it just works. Mm -hmm. um, I have to make sure I keep my voice higher up because it's really easy for my voice to go lower and lower and lower. And then like, I'm, I'm ruining my voice and straining it, mm -hmm. but um, that's on purpose. Yeah. That's on purpose because I've, I've just, I've found it like that resonates the best with people how i use my voice because i've been yeah. doing this for like 10 over 10 years um so yeah it just it just works best it really it really is a great effect on the show though because when even when it's intense like hearing that style of voice it doesn't sound like things should be intense it sounds like you're like oh and there was this little boy and he had to go to bed and and this happened and that happened. But when you get to the parts that are like really creepy in the story, I feel it even with that gentle voice. And that it's like, that doesn't seem like it should work, but it does. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like the stabs and, and stings and stuff and in the sound design really aided that a lot. Yeah. If I can find a sound that replicates the emotion that i want to evoke in that moment um it it gives me chills and i, I listened to one last night because i i'm starting it up again and i'm like okay you know i have to get back in the vibe i have to get i get have to get in into that headspace again mm -hmm. so i was listening to one last night and i was just like like i get i get goosebumps and it's my story and i've heard it like 200 times <laughs> can you listen to it objectively though like as a listener and not go oh i could have done that better oh what was i thinking with that sound yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I will i'll put it on casually and do something else and so i i learned how to do this with my music so if if i want to review my music um more objectively what i'll do is i'll just put it on in the background while i'm doing something else i'll play it in the car i'll i'll put it on while i'm you know, doing dishes or cooking dinner or something mm -hmm. uh, and play it over and over and over again until I'm not listening to it anymore. And then uh, if something stands out to me, then I know, oh, that needs to be fixed because that right. popped out to me. Mm -hmm. That will, that's going to pop out to a listener, a, a critical listener. Right. Um, but otherwise the rest is fine. So mm -hmm. if I can get through it 
you know, 50 times without noticing it, then I know it's fine. Um, I don't do it that much with the podcast, but with my music, I'll do that. Um, and then if, if I can do that and I don't want to go grab a fader or something, then, um, it's done. Uh, you know, the fader is our best friend and our biggest enemy all at the same time, <laughs> that and the pan dial. Um, no, I, I think that's really cool. That's a great strategy. I'm going to have to try that next time because I, I tend to just, uh, either shut off or pay over attention to it. We're like, what was that? No, what was that sound? What was this? You know, like, like a cat just like, where's the ball, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. so no, that's, that's great. I'm going to try that. I, yeah, I listen to, you get hyper-focused, like you'll start you'll start zoning in on, on, on tuning in to just like just the horns or just this mm. one vocal part or just this one sound. And then that's all you're focusing on. And, and you have to like step back and look at the big picture. Mm. And so that's how I do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, okay. So the first NAM show that I went to, uh, it, in fact, it was one of the very first displays that I saw. It was, it was a graphic EQ and I'd never worked with a graphic EQ before. Everything that I'd worked with was just, you know, the the dials or the sliders, and and I never saw that graphic representation. And when I realized you can pinpoint every little tiny pixel and mm -hmm. EQ it, I'm like, this is the most horrible thing I've ever seen. You know, because somebody that's really hypercritical, like we are, you'll drive yourself nuts trying to get every frequency perfect and every little. Oh, it was the worst. And now I've I've learned to work with them. But boy, at the time when I saw that, I'm like, this is the biggest time waster that I could ever have in my studio. Yeah, I knew I, I use a parent visual parametric EQ that has like the, the bands so you can see like which frequencies are the loudest. Right. Um, so if I need to notch out something that my e that my reverb is overemphasizing, especially like mine gets really loud at like 800 hertz so i have to just notch that out mm -hmm. so that it it cleans it up right. and separates it from the from the dry vocal but yeah um if it was like a grid of tons and tons of pixels yeah you could get lost in that forever and it, it would never quite sound right to you yeah, right. because there's always going to be something else you could do that, you know, would make it better. But since, okay, so since you know the 800 hertz is kind of a point, um, do you work off of a template now? Do you just have everything lined up? And yeah, because that that really cuts out a lot of the, the work. Okay, I've got presets. I've got channel presets. So I've got, you know, uh, so someone else, um, uh, another friend of ours taught me how to do this in, in my DAW, um, you know, uh, using sends. So I've got this whole template set up for every project where I've got, um, you know, all of my individual instruments or vocal channels, sound effects, whatever. And then they all go into a dry channel. Mm. They go into a reverb channel and then though, and not into the master. So just into those two. Mm. And then those two get routed into a submix. And then the submix gets routed to the master. So that way, not only not only can I adjust the main dry and reverb, so I can adjust the reverb for the whole thing, but each send has a little input knob. Mm -hmm. So for each one, so if I'm like, I don't want as much reverb on this one instrument, I'll just 
turn the input down on for that instrument into the reverb. So right. that doesn't have much. And then do you use a limiter? Um, I, not so much, not so much. I just keep it. I just try to keep everything at or below minus three dB mm -hmm. to give it a little headroom. Yeah. I do use, um, I do use some mastering software on the master mix um, that compresses it a bit, mm -hmm. but no, I don't use a lot of compression. I don't use limiters because, uh, well, oh, I do use limiters if I've got, let's say I've got a vocal where there's a part where I speak louder and there's a few consonants that are just peaking mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't want to compress the whole thing and I don't want to bring it down because then it's going to be too low a lot of times i'll do like volume automation for specific right. parts so mm -hmm. i don't have to do but sometimes it's like okay i'm just going to throw a limiter on there just so like if a t or an s or something just pops it'll catch it but i don't have to bring the rest down so like the limiter is it isn't on the whole thing to squash it it's just sitting just above it so you'll mm -hmm. never hear it but it'll just catch those those little tiny peaks that happen like a couple times on the right. track. I yeah. use um, Waves Vocal Writer for that, yeah. um, which is nice. I just created a preset that just seems to work for my setup. And uh, so that's I just process it. And, and it really makes things easier for me. But I do use a, a compressor uh, to even it out before I hit Vocal Writer, um, just to kind of smooth things out a little bit. Just It's just gentle, like real yeah. soft knee, minor compression, kind of like what you're saying, where it's not yeah. set to where it's going to squash anything, but if anything really peaks, it'll bring it down. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a pro with the compressors. I haven't really liked how they sound when I use them. Hmm. So I, I tend to avoid them for the most part, um, unless it's a plugin like Voxformer, which... Hmm. Uh, it's it's like a vocal filter and it'll have a compressor in it but i'm not messing right. with it i'm just mm -hmm. selecting a preset and like i like how that sounds but yeah. I'm, other than that um and these days there's there's enough good equipment out there that have great presets for this kind of stuff i mean if you're doing a, an album where you're singing and you're going to have a lot of different frequencies to deal with they don't yeah. really work but for something like this they're they're perfect yeah, and I mean, I, I know that some people like to stick a compressor into the chain before it gets to the computer, mm -hmm. just so that if they're really belting it out, um, it's not going to overwhelm the system. But I do so much quiet stuff. That's not really an issue. So. Well, it, and if you know your mic technique, if you know your setup well enough, you're going to know if you're going to do something that's going to pop it, or you're probably going to go back and go, yeah, that doesn't work. Let me redo that track mm -hmm. more so than you would need something to prevent any clipping. Um, I just had a friend send me over a, a recording that they did um, out in the field. And it just, the person that, that they got to do the recording, it, it clipped so bad. I mean, I was able to clean up a lot of it, but yeah, yeah, in a case like that, I would say if you're out in the wild and you're, you know, you're under live conditions, that's one thing. But in a studio setup, you know your equipment, you know how loud you are, you know what you can and can't do. I read through, I set the levels right. You accommodate a certain range and it's good to go. Yeah. So there isn't, there isn't really a lot I need to do in post. 
because That's I've good. set it up during the recording session to to work. I mean, I do my own engineering, which maybe is another thing not everybody does, but yeah. I mean, I just set it up yeah. to work going into the computer so that I don't have to mess with it afterwards. Yeah, I am I mean, amazed at how many people send out their podcast to be edited by someone else. I'm like for I one podcast. <laughs> you? Yeah. Um, well, it's my stepson's podcast. Um, oh, that's and, different. Yeah. And so, well, you know, they don't really know how to do audio editing. So I just do it all for them. And it takes me an evening. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I, it, I mean, to do the editing for somebody else is one thing. But for like, for me, I can't imagine doing like this interview and sending that to somebody else to go, hey, can you edit this for me? Like, you're not going to know what I want. You're going to cut things out that you don't think are important. I'm like, no, the whole thing was good. Let's uh, just. Just clean it up, I, you know. In, in the in that, I mean, in the case of what I do, they'll just tell me. They'll say, um, you know, take out the long tangents. We went off. We talked about this and that. Take that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <laughs> there's one of the guys um, takes a while to say things, and so I have to cut out a lot of silence and kind of put his words together so that they really flow better. That's like yeah. the most editing I have to do in it. But otherwise, it's just taking out the chair creaks and the pops and the clicks and the mm-hmm. car driving by and and just condensing it a bit so it just flows and you can just listen to it and it's fine. Yeah, that's what I did when I started editing Scorecast all those years ago. That's that was pretty much it because there would be like long pauses while people are thinking or you know trying oh, yeah. to get out an idea or whatever, and you just you just go in and you. It, but I learned that really through audiobook editing, you because you have to with audiobook editing, pacing is everything. Whereas a podcast, you've got a little fluctuation, but uh, not so much telling a story like you're doing. But when you're doing an audiobook, everything is about that flow. So you're moving words, micro spaces over just to get that little bit of flow back. Um, out of curiosity, what DAW do you use? I use FL Studio. Really? Yeah, it's really powerful. People yes. crack on it all the time, but they do, yeah. it can do a ton it is such a powerful DAW. Yeah, I love it. I love it, it so much. And it's been around for a long time. People don't really, because I can't remember, it was Fruity Loops before uh, it changed to FL Studio, right? I started using it in 2009 mm-hmm. and it has, even then it was really powerful and it has just improved by leaps and bounds. Yeah, yeah it's it's a really good DAW, yeah. I've not worked with it, but I, I have some friends that have and and every I've not heard anybody speak badly about it at all. Like they're good with oh. updates. They're really, you know, they're really on top of it. It's amazing. They've got really good default plugins mm-hmm. that I just haven't even had to look for other stuff like Stereo Enhancer and, you know, Ping Pong Echo and um, they're the Maximus and um, Mastering, whatever. And like, yeah. And that's just the stuff that comes with it. That's not even the extras you buy. Right. Yeah. It, yeah and they, and they, they put out a lot of stuff. I mean, it, it seems like they make a lot of stuff available. They seem like, I mean, they, they've been around for a long time. So that shows their and, longevity well, and you, they're trustworthy. Well, they're licensed too. So, you know, I have a professional license, but they're like, install it in as many computers as you want we trust you it's fine so i was able to put it on my son's computer so that he can learn music and he can learn composing um and it's all cool you know yeah. so to kind of turn it into a family affair he gets crazy with the midi oh my god 
he'll program all these complex drums and all these instruments and he'll put it all in one pattern. Oh no. <laughs> he keeps it all apart. Like he can tell it all. I think he started using other patterns, but I was like, my God, this is like, it was almost art. Mm-hmm. So it was just so much in there. It was amazing. And he keeps it all straight. I'm like, how, how he knows more shortcuts and stuff than I do in there. So I, I think we just tend to to learn what we need to use. You know, like yeah. there's so many things. I, I use Cakewalk by BandLab. I've been with them since they were Cakewalk 4.2 back when 12-tone systems owned them in the 90s. And yeah, our- um, it, it's it's like there's so much this thing can do that I just don't need yeah. or relate to. So I don't know how to do any of that. I even make the videos for my for the YouTube version of my podcast in FL Studio because it has a visualizer. Oh. You can so I make the I make the images and so this is another thing I spend time on hours and hours in um uh mid journey mm-hmm. creating um AI art for the the image. Right. And then I import it into FL Studio and then they have um a visualizer that will I put some black fog on it. So there's something kind of moving and it's mm. kind of mysterious. Uh, and then, but it's like subtle. And then uh, I just have it render the whole video for me. Mm. Um, and then I'll, then I'll bring it into something like DaVinci to add like the little subscribe button animation or, you know, Oh, okay. Like but yeah, I, I, I even make my video in FL studio. Interesting. Yeah. Cakewalk is not, it can support video. I mean, I do, I've done all my film scoring in it, but mm-hmm. it's not a video rendering. You can, you can export the video, but there's no video manipulation. You know, you can change the yeah. size of it and that's about With FL it. Studio, I, I have not tried like film scoring with like Simpty code. Mm. I'm not, I know that there is a, there is a video player in it, but I'm not sure that it can actually like, sync the music to the video in code so that when you export it like the filmmaker can put that in their film um so i think that that's one of the limitations but they even gotten to the point where you can export into mono now you couldn't export into mono and since i do vocals i, I did vocals forever i would have to export in stereo and then bring it into audacity and and save to mono so that the right. file would be smaller because it's just a duplicate Mm-hmm. Um, but um you can save to mono now too so i don't know it just kind of does everything i need isn't that so funny I, you know we we went from mono like in the days of the beatles to stereo and now we're like oh my god we got mono back yeah, i know i'm so excited <laughs> because my file sizes are smaller now <laughs> yes exactly um so I'm, I'm curious what what kind of sound libraries you go for then because for this you're you've come up with some really I, I mean, your your sound design for this is perfect, and I'm gonna, I'm, in a way, I'm gonna call it sound design almost more than scoring, because really, you're you're more on the highlights than the background. But the background is amazing too. What kind of libraries do you typically go for for this? Um, Groth. Almost everything is Groth. Really, I've got a trailer box now, which mm-hmm. has more sounds in it. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be some new stuff, but most of the scary stuff is groth some of the sound effects like footsteps or doors closing things like that i just get off of um uh free sound effect sites like mm. pixelbay or pixabay things like that um they have audio now 
you can mm-hmm. just download it and use it for free. But um, almost everything is, it's done in MIDI and it's um, Groth. I love Groth. Interesting. I have not checked out that library yet. Um, I've seen it, but I've, I've not worked with it. Well, you've heard it a lot. You've been listening yes, to I it. have. <laughs> yeah. they've, got, I, they've got instruments in there. They've got um, voices. They've got chants. They've got, oh, it's so good. That's the, that's the good stuff right there. Yeah. Um, I When I was doing my uh, Haunted Holiday series, the, those three albums that I did, um, I was using uh, a, a technique that I'd never used before. I had only recently found out about it. In fact, I, I, I think the first album was the first time I ever did it, where I was using sidechain compression to uh, duck the music down where the voice was, so that the voice doesn't impede on that. Uh, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like you're using that. If you do, you're using it very gently. No, I don't. Um, no, I don't do any ducking at all. I do some volume automation on things. If the if if the music has gotten a bit louder, mm-hmm. uh, like when I get some of those scary, creepy drones going, mm-hmm. um, that can get a bit louder. And um, another thing I use the, the there there are some like violin sounds. Um, creepy violin sounds those those aren't groth those are a couple of other ones i can i can look them up real quick if you want but um those are different plugins if all that starts getting too loud i will bring the vocals up a bit so that you can still hear them right um but it's mostly volume automation i don't do um side chaining to duck i do everything manually and that's fine um, yeah, violins tend to have frequencies that that often really are kind of crosstalk vocals mm-hmm. um, because they're in the more like that normal vocal frequency range. Uh, but man, they're so impactful. They are. <laughs> I love a good string. Uh, when I first got my my first sequencer, which was a, a Korg X3 back in the 90s, um, that was the strings was my favorite patch. Like I wanted that on everything because it just sounded so pleasing to my ears, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Where I get lost is more woodwinds. I, woodwinds are so great and they can work great in horror, but those frequencies sometimes are just, they just cut right into my ears. I don't use woodwinds very much because I kind of have like woodwind PTSD. <laughs> um, I I had to play the oboe when I was growing up. Oh, okay. And... The oboe and I have an interesting relationship because we've both seen some stuff, you know, because I kind of feel like, like, like it's that, that long lost gothy sister. And we're just like, yeah, remember the, remember the days? Yeah. Remember the days. All right. Let's do a solo. All right. Make it creepy. Yeah. But, um, woodwinds in general, I don't really like. So I avoid them in my music. When you start your story with, I had to play it. <laughs> that's that right there. It's, it's almost like a confrontational, uh, you know, battle right off the bat. Cause if you're not passionate about it, like if you're, if you're not passionate about doing the show, right? Like there's a difference between having the desire and being passionate. And I think for you to put in the time that it takes to do this show as well as it is, and it's 
I mean, there's nothing I can come back to you and go, you know, I, I didn't like this or I didn't like that. Or maybe you could do like, there's literally nothing I would change about your, your end product. If I could save you production, I would do it. But the end product, there's nothing I can come back and go, there's, there's something that to change here. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, I had a thought and it's gone. Wait, Oh, 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 the passion. Right. I knew this for me. Um, the first episode I did for um, the guy who runs Curious History, but after that, the amount of fulfillment and joy I got just from finishing and uploading was so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I didn't even care if anyone listened to it. <laughs> I, I really don't care. I, if do it. I, I do it for me. If one person listens to it, I'm like, done. Mm-hmm. Success. Yeah. I did it. I'm going to do another one and I'm trying to get back into that. I mean, I really have to finish one to feel that again, to get into it, to feel the passion. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard to start up after so many months, but I'm, I'm trying, I think I'm just going to start with a Victorian story so that I can get into the routine again of recording and production. Mm-hmm. And then the writing will come later. So I, there there's, so there's a story that I wrote, um, it's supposed to be for a series it's called city of ghosts and it's about my ghost stories from Los Angeles. Mm. Um, that is going to be at least a trilogy at least, Yay. Uh, but I only have one episode up so far and I really want to write the next episode. Um, I have the whole thing outlined, but it's so hard to just sit down and write. So I need to work on like practicing writing, getting in the right headspace stuff so i might just start with a victorian story and read somebody else's writing just to get back into the production aspect of it yeah you know it's it's interesting um creativity you you could you could time block with almost any other job you can say all right from two to four i'm just going to shut everything off i'm going to work on this tax return or this you know business business proposal or whatever it is that you do with creativity you can say i'm going to write from two to four and two o'clock comes and you shut everything off and you're like, there. Okay, I gotta write. Yeah. Okay, I gotta write. And and you might have the desire, but forcing creativity into a time frame does not work with most people. You know, yeah. it it just it's you. So time blocking isn't even a thing you can do. It's almost like you have to always be prepared for when that moment comes. And when that moment comes, you drop everything and start doing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's what I do. Like I'll be going to sleep. And something will pop in my head and I've got to grab my phone and record it or write it down or just get up and go to my computer and, and start working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But then if I, if I'm like, all right, two o'clock, I'm going to sit down and write, I'm going to do 30 minutes every day. Like it doesn't work. Yeah. I, I find I can get in the zone pretty quick these days. Um, it's more the distractions, like being willing to turn my phone off and going, okay, I, I don't, I don't have to worry about anybody needing me. And then in my head, I'm like, but what if there's an emergency? What if this, what if that? And I, and I find that to be the more difficult thing than it is for me to find the creativity. Um, it's like knowing what to do to start. So I have to have a list of little things. I, okay. What's the first thing I do sit hmm. in my chair. What's the second thing I do? look at my computer. What's the third thing? Open this program. You know, like I have to go through that list for myself. I had that for a while in my studio, like open the studio door, you know, turn on the, you know, because I just have to walk myself through that. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise 
I'm just kind of paralyzed. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Do you find though that it helps you commit more if you're like five steps in, you're like, well, I've already this far. Yeah, that's why I do that. Okay. Because because once I get started, then it just snowballs and then then I'm fine. And then I can just do bit, 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 bit. But getting started is the hardest part for me. I can understand that. And well, I think too, especially with the podcast, because you know how long it's going to take you to get it done. It's kind of a daunting task, as exciting as it is to, oh, I can't wait to put a new story out there. Here's the hill I got to climb to get there. All this work I have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was better when I wasn't tracking it. So I didn't know that it's going to take me 30. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, it, it is kind of a daunting. Like if you're like, okay, here's the beginning of 90 hours. Let's, yeah. let's go. You, you know, you look at it like that. You have yeah. to look at it. You have to look at it from like each little piece. So, you know, okay, I'm going to open the folder and I'm going to look at my notes. What notes did I make for myself last time? Go just read the notes. That's all you have to do this time. Just sit there and read the notes and just yeah. think about it. Wow. I mean, even just sitting and thinking about something is the work. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So you're basically just like doing the what about Bob uh, theory, where it's just kind of baby steps to the it's next thing. There is my entire life. That's my entire workflow. Baby steps to the elevator. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. Like I kind of, I've, I've used this analogy before, but I think about it like, like climbing a mountain. So you can't, sit at the base of the mountain and look at the peak and then teleport yourself there and everyone's like you gotta go up there you gotta be there you gotta be there and you know if you look down there's rocks and boulders in front of you there's a stream you're in the foothills you've got to you've got to get all the way there and then like all all the way up these windy paths like there's so much in the middle you have to look down at your feet and just like take a step forward and right. then take another step forward. You can't think about the Mount Peak because you're not going to teleport yourself there. And if you look up at it, you're going to be like, wow, that's so high. Like, how am I going to get up there? How you're going to get up there isn't looking at that. How you're going to get up there is looking straight in front of you. What's right yeah. here? What do I need to get over right here through right here? That's well, a great that's analogy. Problem. People, I think I think in this world of cheat codes and shortcuts, and I, I think about like uh, like an analogy for what you're saying is Super Mario Brothers. I mean, you can you can go through the game and you can teleport in certain places. You can find that cheat where you go all the way above the teleports and find a better teleport and go further into the game. But life doesn't work that way. No. Like it, it doesn't just get done or you don't just get where yeah. you want to be without putting in the work. I spend so much time stuck in that fantasy. Like, you know, I'll be watching my favorite YouTuber and I'm like, I want to collab with them. I want to do that. I want to have that kind of video. I want to do that in my life. I want to, I want to be there. Yeah. But I don't think about, well, then start, like, what's the thing you have to do to take a step forward, to start doing that so that you can get there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's such a disconnect. There's such a disconnect for me. Um, and so right now I'm just like, okay, if I, if I really want this, I mean, part of the struggle is, do I want to do this? Do I want this? But I can't stop thinking about it, which tells me I do. Right. I've been thinking about this for nine, 10 months now of like, mm-hmm. I need to start my podcast again. I really want to. I want I want to tell my stories. I want to be a writer. I want to be a storyteller. You know, when I was a vocalist, it was kind of a dead end job because you're always working for somebody else. You're always singing someone else's music. Um, your your someone else's name is on the project, kind of thing, and 
my brain just freaking dumped that ball. This, <laughs> this, this must be a sensitive subject for me, which I don't mind talking about, but my okay. brain just dumped it all. It's slippery. It's a slippery thought. Slippery th- thoughts always tell me that this is something important. Well, I, I will say that you're you're right. When I'm when I film score and I'm creating the vision for someone else, as opposed to here's what I would write if it were me yeah. doing this. I'm, if I made this film, here's the way I would score it, versus here's my conversation with the director, here's the style of music they want, here's the hits they want. But they want. You're working yeah. for a client to fulfill their vision. Right. There's a place for that, and that's fine, but Okay, here's here's where I was going with this. When I was a vocalist, I was having conversations with other vocalists, friends, where I was like, I'm kind of dissatisfied, kind of dissatisfied. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? What do you want? And, you know, I started thinking about it more and more. It's like, I want to do my own project. I want to do my own thing. You know, I I want it to be my vision, completely my vision. Um. And that's what this is for me. This, like when, when I was just doing session vocal work, uh, I wasn't using all of my skills. um, And it felt kind of narrow and limited. Um, There's so much that I like to do creatively. And this integrates and incorporates so many creative things that I like to do into one project. Um, and I knew that, I, okay, this, this is where I was going. I knew I didn't want to be a vocalist forever. I didn't start out as a vocalist. I was, I grew up an instrumentalist. I sang in choirs and stuff, but that wasn't my primary focus. Mm-hmm. So when I started doing vocal work almost exclusively, it was kind of a new thing for me. Um, I didn't ever really like identify as a vocalist. And so it's not really where I wanted to stay. Like that's not a fulfilling thing for me to do. Um, But I'm not also sure that it's really a sustainable career or job in the long run. Mm -hmm. But being a storyteller, doing voiceover work. Yes, absolutely. I, I would love to just like read audiobooks for a living mm-hmm. but also just being a storyteller being a writer that appeals to me that appeals to me a lot like just grow being becoming jessica fletcher when i grow up you know writing stories yeah i love that so like this pushes me in that direct that propels me in that direction right so that's why i keep thinking about it it's why i keep wanting to do it but then when I think, do I want to do all that work? No, I don't want to do all that work. Who wants to do all that work? <laughs> I just want it to be finished so I can yeah. be proud of it. <laughs> right. Well, speaking as somebody who's done over 750 podcasts, I can tell you, yeah, it is a lot of work. <laughs> it is. It is. But, but, you know, I think that's the difference is like when and, and how many times have you heard people in the industry say when you turn your passion into a job? It, it it changes everything. So when you're working as really what's more of a hired gun as a vocalist, you're riding the line between people hire you specifically because they like your sound or your style or something about you, which is why they wanted you for that project. But they don't want you to come in and be you. They want you to come in and be the you that they want you to be. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll, they'll write things that don't work for my voice. They'll write things that are too high. And they'll be like, why can't you sing high A? Well, 
because I'm a mezzo-soprano, like <laughs> I'm an alto. Right. Uh, that's why, because my vocal range is only two octaves. I'm not Mariah Carey. You know? You're not a piano. <laughs> no, like there, there are a lot of composers who don't understand how the voice works. Yeah. So they don't write for it. And it's very, it's very difficult um, to, to do those things. And obviously, you know, it pushes you out of your comfort zone and it gets you to um, build your skills. Sure. But that's a really stressful place to be all the time. Yeah. Whereas I could write stuff for me that's super easy to sing. Like, um, <laughs> like, like my Halloween album, The Scarlet Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, I just sing the little, uh, the little theme in the beginning. Well, that took me like 10 minutes in the studio to record. Mm-hmm. But if I, if I do uh, something for someone's album or a movie or something, I'm going to be in there 12 hours a day for a week trying to perfect this one little part, this one little bit so that it's the best it could possibly be. Yeah. That's the difference between my, what I do for myself and what I do for other people. I know how to write things for myself that are pretty easy for me to sing Mm -hmm. um, that work for my voice because I wrote it with my voice. Right. Yeah. You know how to write for you. It's not as much work and it sounds better. Well, it's like I, I've talked to a lot of um, MIDI transcriptionists. So for, for those people listening who don't know what a MIDI transcriptionist is, basically if a composer writes all their stuff in, in MIDI as opposed to writing it on like a piece of sheet music paper or whatever, um, the MIDI transcriptionist has to convert that so that all the right symbols and everything are there for somebody to play it and they need to convert it to staff paper. And I have heard almost everyone says what composers aren't doing right is they're using patches like four trombones. Instead of writing out four trombone parts, they're using patches that have the harmony in it. And they have to go back and figure out what the harmony is to be able to write the pieces for someone to play. Instead of the composer writing four lines of trombones that have the right harmony in it. And I think that has same thing has tended to go for people who are trying to write for specific vocalists is they don't sit down with you first and go, okay, what is your range? What's your top note? What's your bottom note? Where's your comfort zone? I will tell them, you know, when they, when they ask for a quote, I will give them my range. I, I give them everything, everything. Mm-hmm. And they, and they ignore it. But that's just it. It's like, it's, it's like educating people is almost half the battle. Like you can, you can say, okay, well, you're, you know, you're an experienced composer. Um, I'm excited to work with you. I think we'll do great together. Here's my vocal range and just say, yeah, they'll get that or they'll pay attention to it. But it's almost like we have to go that extra step and have the conversation and go, now I want you, I want to be very clear. This is my top note, but this is really where my comfort zone is. This is where I'm going to be at my peak performance or whatever. And and it's, it doesn't just and it gets yeah, and it gets tiring because as a professional, all you should have to do is say, "Here's my vocal range, here's my top note, here's my comfort zone." And hey, let them they do it. want someone who sings needs if they need someone who has to sing that, like, then they should look for somebody else. And I I totally yeah. fine with that. Doesn't yeah. hurt my feelings at all. Right. I mean, if yeah. I need a high C, I'm not going to rent a cello. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I'm going to rent a violin. Yeah, exactly. But the the thing that all female singer, I mean, not everyone, obviously, some people get it, but there are a lot of composers out there who think all female singers are the same and they can just sing whatever is in my choir patch. Right. Yeah. Have a, 
thing. And, and if I can write it on paper, they can sing it with their voice because they're a woman. Mm-hmm. And it's not true. We all have completely different voices. Yeah. Well, and, and men too. I mean, there's men's, there's yeah. male sopranos <laughs> and there's male altos, you know. The bases. Um, but mm-hmm. I think I think part of it is the technology has made people lazy. The technology doesn't require me to learn the instrument ranges because I can just look in, in contact and see what's the top note I can play on a cello. I think... I think technology has made music more accessible to people who don't have access to the education. Who, um, because look, music lessons for kids is expensive. Um, not everyone's going to major in music in college. Um, a lot of people play by ear, and the the the. Um, the plugins, the VSTs, the synths have gotten so good at sampling real instruments that you can create music that sounds like it's made by a real instrument without having to know how to read music. You can just use your ear and you can just click on a computer um, and and make it sound amazing. I don't think it's laziness. I think that it's just better access to more people who didn't have access to the music education. That's fair. I think yeah. where I look at the laziness is in a case like working with somebody who you need to learn how to interact with them. You need to learn how to work with people if you're going to go into the realm of working with people. Um, if you're using samples, that's fine because the samples will, they give you what they give you and you can utilize what you've got. But if you're going to reach out and work with real people, you need to learn how to do that. You need to learn how to work with humans who have strengths and weaknesses. And that's that's where I feel more about the laziness is they're not doing their homework on how to really make their project the best it can be. And I wonder I wonder how much of that is laziness or arrogance or I mean there's a lot of narcissism in our industry too, but also how much of that is you don't know what you don't know. And not not even knowing that there's something else there that you're supposed to know that you're supposed to look at or listen to or or you know what i mean yeah but if if somebody comes to me because i do drum tracks right so if somebody comes to me and and they want to hire me to do a drum track i would rather them come to me and go look i've never worked with a live drummer before everything that i've done i've programmed in midi i i'm trying to take things to the next level so you know i i don't know how to do this then I'm happy to sit down and, and go over the steps and learn what you need so I can give you that in my deliverable. But what I get is, yeah, I want a drum track. Okay, are you wanting something that's aggressive? Are you wanting something laid back? Are you wanting just a groove? Are you wanting a lot of drum fills? You know, what what what's your vision? I, I got to know what to give you. And then we'll just play the track. They don't know. They don't know okay. what to tell Right. And, and, that, and, it, and it's at that point I can step in and go, okay, I, I can see that you are not used to working with people. So let me, let me take this back to the basics. Yeah. But yeah. I'd rather you come to me and say, look, I've never done this before, or I've tried to do this before and it hasn't worked. I really want to get to the point where I can work with outside musicians. And with lack, with lack of experience, you just don't even know what to ask for, what to say, what to say you don't know, because you don't know what you don't know. And so it's going to start with, I just want a drum chart. I just want a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't even know that there's nuances or differences or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it, it's. There's I've that, seen but, of- but, 
there's also the um i i'm not supposed to look weak there's that i have to come from that place of dominance all the time because it's, it's, it's my the project. you make it crap that keeps getting constantly it's the mantra of the industry fake it yeah. till you make it, you know and it, it's it's pretend you know what you're doing until you know what you're doing but the problem with that is that you don't know what you don't know and so if you just keep pretending you know you're gonna fall into these pitfalls and and not know where you are or how to get out of it or how to work with people well i there's one phrase that i have very strong feelings about because i think just like fix it in the mix i think it's it's just which, which <laughs> nowadays you kind of can but um back in but the, I still try to i still try to make it right before it's recorded well, <laughs> yeah exactly but i mean i come from the analog reel to reel days so fix it in the mix was like the most horrid I, phrase I but fake it till you make it i think is a very damaging mindset you know i i don't think that you can make the best things that you can if you're just trying to make it work you know learn how to do it right learn how to do better techniques and things like that, that will make your job easier and, and not just more efficient, but it'll make the project better. It'll be something that you, you can be more proud of. Ask questions. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. When I have a mixing question, I just, I just put it on Facebook. Hey, mm -hmm. I don't know how to do this thing. Does anyone know how to do this thing? And someone will help me. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk to you about your Halloween album, because this this kind of really goes along with with the style of the podcast. What was your vision when you said, I want to I want to do this? Oh, the Halloween album? I was working mm -hmm. for somebody. Um, so. I'm trying to figure out where to start this story. <laughs> um, so. There, so you've heard of Second Life, right? Okay, so there's a brand in Second Life um, called Death Row Designs, and they make a lot of macabre, scary, creepy, horror, gothy stuff. Uh, and they had, they still have it. They have a Halloween event every year that they do where they have a hunt where you um, hunt for free objects on their sim, which the sim is an island that they build. Um, it's their store. So you hunt around their store. It's a virtual world. The, so Second Life is a virtual world with avatars, kind of like meta, but way better, way better quality. And um, and um, so every year they'd have a Halloween event and they would they would really they really make it something. They they had like all of the staff are characters that got a whole story for it. So like one year they were a family of morticians and, you know, they were each playing a character and then each character had like a journal that you had to find in the store. And it was an object that you like, you could carry around and they all look different and stuff. And then they had a photo contest where you could, um, if you took, they would be on in the store at different random times. And they had a contest. Can you take a photo with yourself with every single staff member? Um, and some of them wouldn't be around very often at all. So it was kind of like, you got to find the rare staff members mm -hmm. to complete the set, to get the special prize kind of thing. Right. And you know, it was this really fun thing. And it really started becoming an event, dance parties and stuff. Hmm. And then um, they would have a contest every year for a couple of fan, like customers 
to cr- also create a character to become part of the story and then to be a character that hangs out in in the store to um, hand out gifts so um, yeah and so i won one year and the the theme that year was um uh, insane asylum but it was an insane asylum with characters from like 200 years of history and so you could kind of be anyone and anything and so i you know made up this um like victorian um girl who was really into um uh spiritualism and had summoned a demon that was haunting her and taking over her life and drove her crazy and made her talk backwards and stuff um, and wow. so I made a whole avatar with like these haunted hands behind her that was like the demon, like controlling her and stuff. Yeah, that was fun. And then I was talking with the owners during that event and they were like, yeah, next year we want to do something like, uh, like a haunted hotel, like, like, uh, the shining, you know, um, and have like a haunted and build the whole hotel and like sell the hotel and all the furniture, like, um, cause that year they had, they built the asylum, they built all the furniture, the, everything. And so it was like a sale event too. It's like a promotional thing for their store, which is really sure. good business idea. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. And, and so then I was like, you know, I think we started talking and I started sharing some of my music with them. And one of them was like, you know, what? it'd be so cool as if we had a soundtrack next year, like a special soundtrack that we could play over the street, the radio stream for the store and um and i'm like okay so i started it in february this thing is going to happen in october right i started in february because i knew i need nine months to make an album right so i the whole year i'm sending them little things i've got this idea that idea this clip that clip and so i just started writing the album and and then some of the characters for the hotel were based on some of the music i'd already written Uh, other characters were created and then i wrote music for the character so by the end um i had a whole album and then they they played it over the radio while um people went through the haunted hotel and it was a whole game it was a whole game by this point so it was kind of like i did a score for a video game because um there was an interactive hud um that would like open doors and stuff in the hotel and you had to find clues and then use the clues on objects. And it was, it was a whole thing. It sounds like so much fun. It was, it was really intense. It was so much work, but it was so worth it. It was really, I think it was the best one they ever did. It was so good. Everyone loved it. It was so good. Yeah. And and fans of the show, the office will be familiar with the, uh, the game second life. Cause that is where Dwight went to escape from reality after the uh, breakup with Angela. And then his character (laughs) needed to go further away from society, which I've been tempted to do and start a second life within second life. So they had a second, second life, um, (laughs) which uh, there's, there's been so many days where I'm like, boy, that would just be. (laughs) That's like when you're playing Sims and the Sims play the Sims on the computer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, hey, boy, you know, and I, I remember this kind of kind of date me a little bit, but uh, I remember back when SimCity 2000 was uh, was a big thing. In fact, I think that was one of the first CD-ROM games I ever had because everything was floppy disk before that. Yeah, and uh, I never did well at that game, but it was it was like the coolest thing in the world. And you look at it now, and it looks so primitive, but 
you know, in the, what was that, the late eighties, early nineties, somewhere in there, um, when it came out, it was the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. I think one of the first 3d video games I played was alone in the dark, which mm, I remember that one at windows three, one, one. Yeah. And everything was just like giant triangle, triangle people and stuff like, yeah. <laughs> you know, somewhere in America, there's an airport that runs on windows three, one. <laughs> To this day, it still runs, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, if you don't, if you don't need to change it, I guess there's no reason to. But uh, interestingly, uh, a company I used to play a game called Wizardry, uh -huh. which was uh, kind of a dungeon um, turn game. You know, where it, you know, you had to arm your characters, and then every turn was another step or another like you hit the monster, and then the next turn is the monster hits you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And somebody just revamped that game and rebooted it and put it out. And, uh, and I haven't played it because I just don't have the time, but man, that brought back a lot of memories of those old, those old days when I had the time. Games like, like my friend and I in junior high, we used to play Moon Mist. Moon Mist. Yes. I, okay. So I am a huge <laughs> fan of text adventures. Uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing Scott Adams, who was one of the people that inspired the company Infocom with nice. his two word adventure games, like get lamp, take hat, you know? Yeah. Uh, then Infocom came along and figured out how to expand that parser. But um, yeah, I've spent, I don't know how many hours playing Zork. Moon Mist was my favorite because I love that horror kind of dark setting. And yeah. it also came with that decal, right? Because they had the box of feelies and it had the decal but, that you could iron onto your shirt. Oh, but they had the glow in the dark rock too, didn't they? Was that, that was, um, I think that was Wishbringer. Oh, okay. We must have played that too. Because I remember that rock. But yeah, we were always getting lost in the secret passage. We had to take graph paper and like draw a map. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's one thing. I spent so many hours of my life making maps for games. Mm -hmm. um, I first started with like large sheets of drawing paper, but then I found graph paper was much more efficient. But I would still do the first map on the large paper because the games don't always, they're not always truthful with their map. Like you could go out of a room and go east, but getting back into that room, you have to go north from the <laughs> same spot. So like there's some things that don't line up. So graph paper, you really have to kind of have a plot before you can put it on graph paper, yeah. uh, at least for me, for the way that my brain works. But oh my God, I had so much fun talking to Scott Adams. And then um, I, I thought about reaching out to some of the people that have done the Infocom games like Zork and, uh, and that. And I just, I haven't done it yet, but yeah, that's oh, on my list. That would be, those would be really great episodes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great uh, documentary out there on the whole genre called Get Lamp. It's on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> any, anyone who's interested in the world of text adventure, the beautiful thing about text adventure is it's like reading a book that you're interactive with. Yeah. Yeah. Because there, there's no graphics. I, later, uh, later on, they started making graphic games, but in the beginning, there were no graphics. It was all description. <laughs> you're an adventure book. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, they were fun because your brain is creating the landscape based on whatever description they're giving you. And they'll give you minimal detail and your brain just fills in the whole world. Yeah. And I found that years later, when I've gone back and played some of the games again, my brain goes to exactly what I remember was in my brain at the time I was playing the game. Like that room looks like this. It feels like this. It has this sound. It has this lighting. Uh, it's really such an amazing world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. I, the last one I started playing, because I had never played Wishbringer. Uh, so about a year or so ago, I had a little bit of time 
Um, and so I, I started playing it again and I've got all my notes because if I don't make notes, I'm not going to remember. No, I have to resolve everything I saw. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've got to get back to that game at some point when I've got some time, but I'm getting ready to start recording a new album. So that's <laughs> I have to take a, a backseat. Yeah, um, that would be a distraction. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about another thing that, that you worked on too, the Epic Women Project. Um, yeah. I, I definitely see you as being an epic woman, but what was the project about? Um, a few years ago, uh, just before the pandemic, actually, um, Felicia Ferrari decided, you know what? There's so many male composers, but we have so many female composers that just aren't getting a spotlight. So let's make a whole epic film score album that's just made by women. And um, so she, you know, invited just a whole bunch of, you know, female composers, singers, whatever that she knew, um, instrumentalists, just, you know, whatever. And, and said, let's, let's make this album. And, and we got together, we kind of brainstormed and decided that um, it would be really fun if we turned the album into a story and we decided at first we were like going to do tarot cards or something, but we're like, okay, why don't we do a hero journey? Mm-hmm. And then each song is a different stage of the hero journey. Like that gives us like kind of an outline structure. Sure. And then um, each one of us will take one stage of the hero journey. Um, so we went through all the stages and everyone picked something and I picked um, the mentor. So the mentor is, um, the teacher that the hero goes to to learn things before they go off on their heroic adventure, um, kind of like like Yoda in Star Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and then the project kind of got delayed because the pandemic hit and um, everything was kind of chaos for a while. But we did eventually finish it. And the thing that's so amazing about this album is that everyone wrote their music in isolation. Like we weren't sharing our music with each other. Oh, okay. We just each wrote a song and submitted it to her. And when the album came out, we were blown away because it sounds like a cohesive project. Like everything goes together and, and goes together really well. But it we didn't plan it like like we didn't work on it like that. It just fell into place and sounds like a whole project so it's called epic women the shiro's journey because it's about a a female hero Mm -hmm. you know who is just living a normal life and then gets cast into this journey and and um has to go through the whole thing so yeah but there was no discussion of of theme like overall theme like okay so we want this to be fantasy with a little bit of like old victorian music there was no discussion about the the format of it at all no, I, I mean, I think it was kind of assumed that it was going to be epic film score, which is a genre in and of itself. And it's yes. a kind of it's a like um, trailer music kind of mm. kind of genre. Yeah. But I didn't even write that. <laughs> like my song is, is different. And at first I thought, oh, no, my song's different. It's it's not going to work. It's supposed to be epic. Mm. But um, it actually works really well because, you know, you've got these inspiring songs and then epic songs and then you just it just takes it down to like let's just sit down just calmly reflect and be at peace for a little while and then we're gonna go out in the battle and fight the battle yeah you know yeah so it it 
it works. But it you works. need that though. I mean, if if you can't have a full journey, if every song starts out with in a world gone mad, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got to, you, you're yeah. going to have peaks and valleys. You're going to have your moments of doubt and your moments of reflection and your moments of empowerment and your moments of challenge. Like you, it yeah. really needs to have those peaks and valleys. We I think just, we just sort of figured that out without really talking about it. And mm-hmm. it just happened. It was really great. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I have not heard that yet, but I, I'm looking forward to it. Which song was yours? What's it called? Um, Oaken Hearts. So Very it's nice. a song about, I decided, I've been researching a lot of psychology over the last few years, like, um, you know, trauma, PTSD, um, self-esteem, things like that. And I was like, if this is a song that's supposed to teach people something how can i take all of that and boil it down into like four minutes of everything i know here it is you know i'm gonna teach you hand it to you now yeah and i wasn't really sure how i was gonna do that um so i spent like literally a couple years things like how am i gonna do this what am i gonna (laughs) what what am i gonna say like what's it gonna sound like and I honestly I wrote the whole thing in my sleep. I woke up the intro chords. I woke up with that in my head. I was right. like, oh, that's really cool. So I, I, I got it down like on paper. I, I like, put it in the MIDI, right. Hmm. Uh, in my, in my DAW. And then I'm like, but I'm copying something. This is someone else's song. Like I've heard this before. So I had been listening to a lot of, um, just like ambient down tempo kind of music, um, really soft stuff. And and so I went through every playlist I had listened to for the last six months. Like it's in here somewhere. It's in here. I know this song. I've heard the song before. The song is in here somewhere. I could not find it. I couldn't find it. And I was like, maybe I'm having a Paul McCartney moment. <laughs> like the song itself. Okay. So I'll just keep it. I'll just use yeah. it. Right. So then I started, you know, I wrote a melody. Uh, I don't put the words until last. Wrote a melody and then started trying to write words. And I was writing it while I was sleeping. Like when I was dreaming, there was a part of my brain that was awake and was like hashing it out, writing it, writing lyrics, writing melody, writing whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of wrote it all in my sleep. But also... The theme, I didn't know what exactly what the theme was going to be. And then one night I had a dream that there was an oak tree growing in the middle of my apartment. And when I woke up, I realized, oh, that's like a symbol for our inner strength. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so if I want to write a song about self-esteem and, and a song for this hero. So, so the mentor should be giving something to a lesson to the hero that the hero can use in their final battle. Right. Right. And ugh, this always makes me cry. <laughs> this always makes me cry. Um, I just imagined the mentor telling the hero, like you have this inner strength and in your darkest moment when you think your back is against the wall and it shuts you down and you're done for, you can draw on your inner strength and win. Because that's that's your real weapon. Like there's no weapon 
forged in steel that is stronger or or more effective than that and that right. that is your real weapon that and that is your secret weapon because your enemy's never going to see that coming you know? and there and and it's it's such a classic example of we have so much more in us than we allow ourselves to to think we we think we have to grab a weapon we have to um find an edge but we but our inner strength it's it's everything it, it's what allows us to do everything that we do in life and we tend to i don't know if take it for granted is the right phrase but it's it's probably the closest i can come because it's just part of our everyday we don't consciously think about how much we use it and so to have it pointed out and then you know i obviously the person that was writing the battle didn't know what you were writing so they wouldn't have necessarily been able to include that but, but it- Think but it's there. Instrumental. So I can't. Oh. I can't remember exactly which song. I haven't listened to the album in a little while, but most of the tracks are instrumental. So. Oh, okay. I think. I don't think I was the only one that had lyrics, but it was. It, mine's one of the only ones that has lyrics. And it makes sense because oh, you're no, teaching Fel- a lesson. I think Felicia has a couple songs with, with lyrics, but yeah, they're they're. It's mostly instrumental. So okay. it's of imagination time. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think that's a great theme. And, you know, I was just thinking about um, the series Cobra Kai because they use that in there as well. When when Miguel's got his his demons he's fighting, he hears Johnny's mentor voice in, in his head saying, you can do this, kid. You're you know, you've come so far kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I love that. So often, I mean. When you learn about self-esteem, you learn that you are born with this core worth. And this core worth is like, it's like a, it's like a ball, right? And, and it never loses its value and it always shines the same brightness. And there are a lot of people that come into our lives and try to cover that up, try to cloud it. Um, If the boundary around it is porous, um, we look for other things to strengthen it. But, but when we, we use external validation to strengthen our self-esteem, then external invalidation lowers our self-esteem. And right. so you you end up in this roller coaster up and down, up and down, depending on what's going on around you, when actually your core worth is just a straight line and it's the same. And and so like the point of the song is that you have this oak tree inside you and it's really strong and it doesn't matter what's going on around you that is your strength and it's always there. You can always draw from it. So yeah. I love that. And, and in just a personal observation, um, you know, it's like when we sit down, especially when, when I'm writing for hire, you know, whether I'm writing music for a library or for a film or whatever, um, it is easy to just get lost in your own head and go, how do I make this work? How do I do this or that? And it's or this almost, sucks, this sucks. Yeah. I, I, every, every time, especially if I'm writing for somebody else, I, I have that moment where I just hit rock bottom and I'm like, this sucks. This is terrible. It's all terrible. And I've learned from going to my wife, she's like, it's going to be fine. This is what you say every time I've learned right. that as soon as I say that, I know I'm just about to like hit mm-hmm. that ramp and hit the gas and yeah. awesome. So I actually really like that moment now because I know that means it's going to be awesome. 
Right. Uh, but, yeah. but it's that point when you let go, when you're mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah. I'm just, my brain's just going to stop working yeah. on it for a while. Then all of a sudden <laughs> that channel kind of opens up and it, and it comes flooding through. But you know what made me feel better about that situation is when I saw the um, Gladiator is one of my favorite soundtracks that, that Hans Zimmer ever did. Love oh. that. And um, brilliant that he used waltzes for all the battles, by the way. Um, just absolutely <laughs> brilliant. It is. Yeah, they're all in 3-4. But what he said in the documentary was every time he starts a new film, and think about, you know, he was he was already pretty big by the time he got to Gladiator. But um, he says, every time I think they've hired the wrong person, I'm a hack. I don't have any business doing this. And I think if a guy who's had the successful track record somebody who's proven the proof of concept that he absolutely should be a film composer can find that moment of doubt and terror every time they start a new project. Maybe this is the one I can't do. Maybe I've run out of ideas. Maybe I can't handle this big epic film or whatever. I think, why should I ever feel bad about doubting myself? If a guy at the at the top of the peak feels that way, I'm not any different. It's just part of the process, I think. Yeah, it is. It shouldn't be, though. But I think I think for some people it's healthier. If we walked into every project going, yeah, I can do this. I think I think it is a symptom of getting pushed out of your comfort zone. And yeah. it, it's like um, um, David Bowie said, you know, you do your best work when when you're out in the water just far enough that your feet aren't touching the bottom anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that's what gives us our insecurity, but what we need to realize in that moment is even though oh we're feeling really insecure about this it means that we're just out of our comfort zone enough that we're about to take our skills to the next level mm-hmm. we're about to push ourselves a little harder and do a little better than we have before and it's a good like place to be. but it's okay to have that insecurity and that doubt in that moment of course you would why wouldn't you right why wouldn't you you, you right. haven't been in this spot before this is new of course you would, but it, so I don't think that you should never have insecurity. I just think that you need to recognize what it means mm-hmm. um, and then keep going with it. And and just know, just trust that you're going to get comfortable with it pretty soon. And you're going to actually do really great things that you're going to impress yourself with and surprise yourself with. I really like that. I, I think that's fantastic. Uh, boy, I could talk to you for hours. I, I really could, but I gotta, I gotta close with, with one other question. First of all, I'm so excited that so much Win stories is coming back. Cause I, I just fucking love your show. It is. I'm going to release something by Halloween this year. So Excellent. it might be on Halloween. I might be pushing that deadline a bit, but, <laughs> but this month I'm going to get something out this month. Well, and, yeah. and the, the beauty is as much as, as a lot of people tend to think about horror really being a Halloween thing, it is not. I mean, it is such a huge genre that it's really all year. You can release something it's, anytime and it'll I want it'll to fit. do this all year. I want to do an episode a month. Mm-hmm. Um, what I loved about that uh, Victorian Christmas story episode of, of Curious History was it's like, oh, ghost stories have more tradition than just Halloween. Now oh, there's yeah. Christmas ghost stories. But I mean, all year round, yeah, that's that's what I want to do. Um, that That's my goal, is to get it to a place where I can do it every month and not burn out. To, to create yeah. some space for myself so I can have some downtime, have some rest, but also create and also continue doing what I love. Yeah, that's, my, that's my struggle with balance right now. But I know I can yeah. get there. I just have to, just have to think about it a bit. 
work. As long as it's still fun. As long as the yeah. that moment of of putting it up there and, and being happy with the accomplishment is is still what you were feeling in the beginning, it's worth the effort. So I've got to ask you one more question. Um, have you thought, now here's here's me making you do more work. Have you thought about doing your own album or you know, an album that's just solely for you? Or do you are you inspired to do that? Yeah, I actually I was gonna do. Uh, an album of soft piano music so there's a there's a song that i did called winter out there and i've actually started writing some other songs that are similar and i was just going to do a whole winter album that was just like snowfall and you know things like that like all the names of the song and which it would just all evoke like like a really cozy wintry feeling um but i just never really took the time to sit down and actually do it so i've got i've got some songs where i, I was like inspired and i did a little bit of it just little sketches um but i never really sat down to do it seriously but yes that i have thought about that um i think the other thing that kind of hangs me up is that when i would do things like that on soundcloud like 10 years ago every time i put out an instrumental people people would be like where's your voice why aren't you singing where's your voice where's your voice and it kind of discouraged me from doing yeah, that right even instrumentals is my is my core background mm -hmm. so i think i still have that in my head a little bit like well if you're not singing on it it's not doing which is ridiculous so no. so yeah i have thought about doing that um well, if i can get a point where i if i can get to a point where my uh podcast routine isn't overly taxing um, yeah, I might, I might pick that up again and, and finish that. Yeah, I would love to hear that. I think there's, there becomes a challenge when people get to know you and know what you're capable of, what you're, you know, what they perceive your wheelhouse to be. Um, like when I started doing mental sauna music and then I went and did a horror album, they're like, well, why don't why aren't you doing another mental sauna album? And then I would do another mental sauna album. They're like, why are you going to do any more horror music? Like no matter what you do, <laughs> there's always somebody that's not going to be happy. So yeah. I would say, do what you're passionate about, put it out there and let people choose to enjoy it or, or not choose to enjoy yeah. it. I mean, I'll I always just, be a fan. Like whatever you put out, I want to hear it. Thank you. I, I just have such, and I have an eclectic, varied background. I have an eclectic taste in what I like to create, uh, what I make. Um, you know, I, I've gotten some criticism, like you just need to pick one thing and focus on it. You're too scattered you know, but that's what made me a really good session musician was that I was familiar with so many different genres and so right. many different styles that I could just pick it up and do it. So it was actually a strength in the end. Um, mm -hmm. I think I just need to quiet those voices that were like, that are telling me it's not um, worth doing because it's different and just do what I want because it makes me happy. Okay, I'll give you something that might help you feel better and, and okay. might help you to like recall this when you have those moments. Okay. So the very first uh, What Happened in Vegas book that I wrote, which was basically me just my weekly walk down the strip, hearing people say crazy things and putting them into my voice recorder and then transcribing them when I got home and then making a coffee table book, right? So it's basically like just a thing you pick up and you're like, you just open it up to some random thing and hopefully it'll make you smile. 
So somebody uh, saw that there was a new Vegas book out and they bought it without reading the description. And then they gave me a one-star rating on Amazon because the book wasn't a story. I'm a Vegas junkie. I love everything about Vegas, but this isn't a story. Like I never <laughs> said it was a story. Um, <laughs> sorry, you weren't happy with it, but you know, do your, do your homework. <laughs> like if you yeah. pull... If you pull the trigger without reading the description, it's not my fault if you don't like what you get. So write what you want to write. Um, people are going to have their expectations of you, and that's fine. Um, they can either be open-minded enough to go, well, I like the other stuff that they've done. Maybe I'll I'll enjoy this too if I give it a chance. Or they can be the kind of person that's going to be like, well, you didn't do what I wanted you to do, even though I'm not investing in you. I'm not giving you money or hiring you to write something. And I'm going to make sure that you know I'm unhappy. Yeah, uh, I get because the light is I, really dim in Mom's basement, and I've got nothing better to do. I get that on my current podcast. Um, some of my ghost stories are true; they happen to me. Some of them aren't. But I mean, you know, if it's if I'm talking about I I was a little kid or I was living in in L.A. or whatever, like that's a true story that happened to me. Okay. Um, if it says true story, it's one of my stories, my personal stories. Um, because the point of the podcast originally was to tell all of my stories um, and just get them out there because they're they're just going around in my head all the time. And I want to share. But um, I get people and they're like, oh, fake, this didn't happen to me. And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Like, it doesn't it doesn't matter because the, the point is is it a good story or not? Did you like listening to it? Or right. Not? Did yeah. it entertain you? It doesn't have to be real. It doesn't have to be real to be a good story. And it doesn't matter whether you believe in ghosts or not, because another, another aspect of this podcast that I'm not super open about, but I, I will be here is that the backdrop to all of my personal stories are childhood trauma or domestic abuse so the the between the lines point of the feeling of these stories is for instance um the haunting in connecticut the real feeling i was trying to evoke was what is it like to be a small child growing up in a house that's scary where even though you're surrounded by adults you're totally alone yeah and how terrifying that can be and and to convey that to the listener without ever saying what really happened the ghosts were real the ghost stories are real those really happened but the extra scary that i'm putting into these stories is actually scary it's horror from other humans, mm -hmm. you know? So it doesn't matter if you believe in ghosts. It doesn't matter if you think it's true or not. Did you enjoy listening to it? Did it stir something in you? Were you able to right. relate to it anyway? Was it fun for you? Mm -hmm. If it's not, go listen to something else. I don't care. Right. I don't care if people don't like it because I'm making it for me and I liked it. So the end. I don't right. care. Yeah. I mean, I've had people come to me and go, um, I don't like this about your show. Okay. That's, that's fine. Why are you still listening? Is there a show you like? 
because yeah. I, I really want that for you. Go listen to that one. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm not good at the social aspect of dealing with, with art. I, I I'll fully admit I'm really not. I'd rather just tell you to fuck off. Then if you don't like it, just fuck off it's and go hard. listen to something else. It's I don't hard. care. Um, yeah. But, but even uh, on, on the Aerosmith show that I'm a co-host on with, uh, with, with Corey Morissette, we've had that talk recently too, where people are just writing in and I don't like this and I don't like that. And you guys talk too much before you get to the song. Well, you can move the slider ahead. Um, if yeah. you just want to get to the song or you can choose to listen to another podcast, why are you writing in and complaining? We're not going to change what we do because somebody doesn't like it. Yeah. You know, this is the but show. You what know, was the point of you telling me you didn't like it? Why are you spending that time? Right. Like this is how you're choosing to spend your time when it's not going to change anything and you're still not enjoying how you're spending your time. Right. I mean, if, if we said, hey, we'd love to know what you guys think of the show, please write in and tell us what yeah. you're happy with, what are you not yeah. happy with? It would matter. Yeah. yeah, it would be perfectly appropriate feedback. But it's yeah. like I never wrote into Three's company and said, hey, there's too many coincidences on this show. <laughs> like I never wrote into them and said, you need to change your format. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like I don't I don't understand the, this world of social accessibility where people feel that it's OK to state their opinion like it's art take the art or don't take the art or give it a chance and like it or don't like it people are entitled to their opinions they're welcome to say whatever they want but i'm not going to do anything about it yeah. I, I mean if you really if you really want to be like mm, it's not real i'll just be like cool yeah. I, I i just say thanks for listening because you right. took the time to give me a click and give me a chance like thank you thank you mm -hmm. for listening I would love to go back. Like I would love to merge Leonardo da Vinci into today's <laughs> world and have him put out like the, the Vitruvian man and have people go, that's not real. He's got like eight arms. <laughs> you know? Like I would love to see those like classic things. God himself. God. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's no way his head would look like that. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, and I think that's the most frustrating thing. And that's why I think a lot of podcasts, like they don't make it to 10 episodes because people get discouraged by two things. One, how much work it is. And because it doesn't seem mm -hmm. like it would be that much work. And it's so easy to consume. I, I'm constantly yeah. thinking about how, like, how easy it is to just slurp up these episodes and just, you know, and just binge them and just boom, boom, boom. And it's so easy. And it yeah. takes so much work to make them. And and that it, that's really discouraging to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'll go back yeah. to the Cobra Kai example. So they do 10 seasons or 10 shows per season, right? And mm -hmm. it takes them nine, 10 months from writing and filming and editing and all that stuff, sound design, uh, which sound design is huge on that show because it's a martial arts show. So there's a lot of battle sounds they have to do. Um, and then- <laughs> and then I watched the whole thing in literally 12 hours yeah. and it's over yeah. and it took them nine months to put together. It's so weird nowadays yeah. with, with the binge format. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we tend to not have the understanding and appreciation for things because it's just so accessible. It's so readily available. Yeah. And, one of the things you know, I've been afraid of is becoming a slave to the audience where, where they become demanding more, more, more. Why aren't you doing this more, more, more? We want more, we want more, you know, and, and not being able to keep up with that and, mm -hmm. and trying to find a mindset where I can set that aside and be like, no, I'm going to do this on my schedule, on my time when, when I'm ready to release it the way I want to. 
I don't want to get into a situation where I have that relationship with my audience. I want to, I want to be the one who dictates the terms of, of the podcast. Right. Well, I, I yeah. think the one one thing that you could do is when you explain to people the amount of time it takes to do an episode and where they're where they might come back and go, well, we want it would be great if you did one every week. Well, <laughs> there aren't enough hours in a week for me to do one every week. You know? Yeah. I mean, so, part of this can be like I can streamline my process a bit. Like you and I were talking a while ago about automating the music more where it's it's more of a track that I don't have to fiddle with as much and I can just loop in the background even if it's a longer one um you know but or just do a drone just not even have music just do it like a sound drone just so I can record it edit it get it out there yeah it would help so much but I just have this I have this artistic vision that I feel like I need to fulfill and it haunts me and plagues me every moment of every day and that's what drives me. So unfortunately, it's just going to be like this for a while. Well, I think that's the thing is you don't want to put anything out there where you look back on it and go, I cheated or I don't feel good about this. You want to be able to look at every single episode and go, I worked hard on this. I'm very proud of this. I'm very happy with this. So uh, I, I, any suggestions I throw out there, any anything that crosses your artistic integrity, obviously that's what's most important. Well, it's not like you haven't said anything I haven't contemplated before mm-hmm. and it's decent advice. I just haven't found a way to do that and still fulfill my artistic vision. So that's why I'm struggling. Yeah. With it. So. No, I, I totally get that. And, and I highly respect that. I would never want to do anything that would make <laughs> yeah. you cross that line, you know? Um, well, Zephora, it has just been so much fun to talk to you. I'm so glad yeah. we finally did this. Please, for the love of all creatures, great and small, come back on the show. Oh, Let's I talk would, again and do some more. As, as soon as you want me, I'm back. This is so much fun. I really, I really want to find something to work with work with you on. I don't really work uh, with, I, I don't collaborate a lot because I find it just a very daunting either. thing. But I want to but do something I love with you. It at the same time. Like I love working with people at the same time. So like, yeah, yeah I mean, if if we can think of something, I'd be down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to come up with something because I, I just think it'd be, because we get along so well we share yeah. a lot of the same outlooks when it when it comes to production and music and all that. I, I think like we could come up with something good. Because I mean, have you ever gotten into a, a collaboration or a project where you think, okay, this is going to be fun, and then you start talking about something like money, and all of a sudden they get crazy, and you're like, oh no, this isn't going to be fun. We're right. not going to get hungry well, you know, yeah. or just like, talking about the mix or you know, how, how it needs to be performed or just, yeah. And suddenly it's not, it's not quite what you thought. I think we would actually work really well together. I think so too. That's so important. Nobody does, nobody does anything just for fun or to, to just do something anymore. It's like, everything has to be for a reason, you know? And I always go back to the example of moving. I'm limited and it's still work. I think that's why. Yeah. (laughs) But if, if it's fun, it's not work. It's it's time. I mean, there's still there's still some work that goes into there's it. Effort. But yeah, but I, I I think that's the difference is there, there's there's effort and there's work and and it's the effort you put into it. But if you're enjoying it, it's not work. There yeah. are parts of it are like mixing. I'm not a big fan of mixing. It has to I be done. <laughs> See, I love mixing. You could toss that to me. I'll do it. Well, there you go. And I, I, I perfectly I would, trust you with that. 
which is why it takes me so long to make stuff because I just I can just sit here forever mixing. That's my joy. All right. Well, I think we have something now. We just got to figure out what it is. <laughs> it's begun. The process has begun. <laughs> so people check the links in the show notes. Check out Soma Twin Stories. It's on YouTube. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's everywhere. Uh, it's so well done. Thank you so much for putting all that effort into every show. I I enjoy it immensely. I, I can say from, it, it's easy for me to say it's worth all your work for me to enjoy the show. <laughs> but, uh, but I can say the effort that you put into it does pay off. Thank you. I think it's worth my work too. Yeah. There, then, then we're good. <laughs> Thanks guys. We'll see. So uh, I'll break this up into probably a couple episodes. These will air just before Halloween. So uh, keep out, keep your eyes out for a new story. If it's not already out, it will be following shortly. Pressure's on. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you again, Zephora. Thank you guys for checking out the show. We'll see you probably tomorrow on another episode. Cheers. Cheers.